Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Greetings, feely humans. Welcome to You Me Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and today on the show it is episode 44, talking about the transformative power of compassion with author and speaker Virginia Hunter Sampson. Virginia is a lovely, feely human like we are. She's done a lot of research and writing on the topic of compassion, has had lots of relevant experiences dealing with compassion, self-compassion. We explore how living compassionately boosts mental health and even the limits of compassion. Really, really interesting uh, conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, Virginia has a couple of books out. Uh, One is called Compassion Magic, and it's a book about the magic of compassion. So go check that out. Links in the show notes. And Superhero Sam Saves His Family is a children's book that Virginia has and has written. And it's a book about compassion for kids. So if you have kids, go check that out. Links are in the bios to go read those. I highly encourage that. We all need some more compassion in our lives, and Virginia is uh, amazing for bringing that to us. Okay, before we get to the episode today, I wanted to just share a couple of things. One, if you aren't subscribed to You Me Empathy, please uh, go over to Apple Podcasts and do that. And if you haven't left a rating and review, takes a few minutes. It's a free way to support the show, and the more people who do it, uh, the more potential listeners we can get in on this empathy and mental health stuff, which is all, which is what we all want, right? It's what I want. It's what you want, right? Right? We need more ear holes in the empathy conversations. We need more people listening to this, and, uh, Writing a rating and review in Apple Podcasts is a uh, is a way to do that. It's a free way to do that. A cheap but not free way to support the show is by going to patreon.com slash empathy. It's a ongoing way you can uh, support the show for as little as 25 cents an episode or a buck an episode or more if you want. And you get some bonus audio and things like that uh, in return from time to time. Okay. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here in episode 44. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. Remember, if you are struggling, you have people around you who love you, who do care for you. And I'm always open to chatting. You know, not even on the podcast. Uh, you can email me, youmeempathy at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Instagram at youmeempathy. We also have a, an amazingly supportive Facebook group, Facebook talk, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash youmeempathy. Just a bunch of lovely humans in there supporting uh, one another. 
So, you got this. I love you. Enjoy this episode, episode 44, on the transformative power of compassion with my guest, Virginia Hunter Sampson. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am impassioned for compassion with author, attorney, speaker, and tragedy into triumph creator, Virginia Hunter Sampson. Hello, Virginia. Hello. Thank you for having me on, Nan. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to have you here. Uh, for the listeners, today we are talking about compassion but before we do, as we always do on You, Me, Empathy, uh, let's, uh, let's do a little check-in, a little emotional check-in to see how, how the day is going, how the week has been. How are you doing, Virginia? I'm actually having a great week. No complaints. I got back from vacation, and I just feel re-energized. Lovely. Lovely. Where'd you go on vacation? Uh, we actually took a whole family vacation over to Eastern Europe. Wow. Uh, what parts? We went to Hungary, uh, Croatia, Slovenia. Cool. That was beautiful. Yes, we had a wonderful time. Just a, a family bonding, you know, enjoying the history, the culture, the food, being together. It was just terrific. That's great. Yeah, I um, I haven't been to that part of Europe, and I, I've always wanted to especially see Croatia because uh, I've heard it's just so beautiful and also the people, you know, being so uh sort of warm and inviting or so i've heard yeah i think uh it is it's a different kind of beauty we were on the coast so it's uh much different than slovenia or hungary but yeah i mean i there was the entire trip and the people were wonderful i mean there's anything negative i could say about any part of that of europe i had never been to eastern europe either and i just it was very fascinating that's awesome people were great yes we loved it and what kind, I was talking about this with someone recently, what kind of traveler are you? Because I will preface that state with, statement with this. I I tend to be the type of traveler who likes to kind of wander and not have much of a plan intact. Uh, what about you? 
I like to do that, but I find it's not much of a reality these days, especially in the summertime with so many people traveling. So, you know, we have to have hotels or houses we stay in and those kinds of things. But I try to plan days where I'm going to see specific things and other days where I'm just going to find a coffee shop or, you know, explore the architecture of the city or a good restaurant. So I try to mix that up when I'm there. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear your week has gone well and your your trip was was great with the fam. Um, as for me, uh, my check in this week. Um, let's see. I my mood's been good. My mood's been good this week. Um, had a good week at work. Uh, I'm a little tired. Uh, and um, I was just telling Virginia this before we started recording, but. I went up to L.A. last night uh, to see, it was a triple feature of Gleaming the Cube, North Shore, and Rad, which are sort of early to mid-80s, sort of kind of obscure sports sort of action-y movies that are very silly and pretty low budget, but I have a fondness for them. Uh, I watched them a ton as 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 a... as a teenager and as a kid, sadly, Rad, which is one of my favorite ones, that's like the BMX BMX racing one. Um, uh, they couldn't find a print for it. Um, it's it's they couldn't get the rights to to sc- to screen it at the Egyptian Theater in L.A. So we left after uh, the second film, North Shore. So, um, anyways, it was still fun, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. And I don't know, I I, I have a soft spot in my heart for those movies and, and nostalgia is a sort of powerful thing. It kind of takes you back to childhood. So I had a, I had a good time. So I'm kind of reeling on that. I'm a little, a little peaked and tired, but um, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> have you ever seen those movies? I, I, I doubt it, but I have read specifically. My son loved that. The other oh, two I'm not cool. familiar with. Yeah. He, I, we, we watched it. I can't remember right now cause we're going back a number of years, but yeah. yeah, he was a big fan of rad. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, rad is fun and silly and North shore is the one where kid from Arizona, uh, like surfs in sort of like a wave park type of situation goes to the North shore of Hawaii and, you know, has an adventure and then gleaming the cube is with christian slater uh where he's (laughs) he sort of uncovers like um a plot to you know some evil corporation and he he and his skateboard buddies try to sort of fend off the foes it's very silly but a lot of fun anyways it's very Very innocent very innocent compared to what we watch now, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it is, you, you're totally right. You hit the nail on the head. There is something, I don't know, like calming about that because it is very innocent. It is kind of like simple. It is a little simple. Whereas today, there's so much like um, maybe unnecessary complexity to some of, you know, some storytelling. I don't know. Maybe I'm being old and curmudgeonly, but. That's how I feel. <laughs> I know what you're saying because my my son, I've had four kids, but my youngest son makes fun of me because I like to watch Westerns, you know, the old Westerns, John oh, Wayne. Sure, and, sure. And I find them very soothing, I think, for that reason. They're very uncomplicated. You've got usually some beautiful scenery. 
things move slowly. I just find that very soothing. Whereas some of these shows, people talk so fast and so much is going on. I'm agitated by the time I'm at the end of the show. You know, just, I don't find it super relaxing. But again, maybe that's my generation. Sure. I totally understand when you say those are soothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I see the same with with western with westerns that genre, and it's why I love the genre because the the it's very simple. It's it's like a morality tale. It's a simple morality tale set you know set you know in this sort of slow going, slow paced uh, environment. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that assessment. Um, okay, well that's that's our emotional check in this week. Let's let's get into your story a bit, Virginia. <laughs> um, I. I want to kind of explore, so today you're doing um, a lot of work and, and research and sort of um, writing and, and thinking about uh, compassion and the power of compassion, but I want to understand a little bit about uh, your life before that, and, and maybe could you uh, share with me and the listeners uh, a few maybe seminal moments from your childhood or sort of young adulthood that maybe speak to who you are today? Sure. So compassion was, I think something, um, my parents were, um, children of the depression Mm -hmm. and world war two. So I think the idea of community service and compassion, I think the world was smaller and I think that was just part of the fabric of their lives. And so I kind of grew up with that without even realizing it was compassion. You know, we went to church regularly, you know, and in my opinion, the message of Jesus Christ, the the important message for me is one of compassion. So that was kind of my upbringing. You kind of drift away from that. You know, I became a litigation attorney and Lord knows that doesn't involve any compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I drifted far away from that idea. I moved across the country out of the Midwest, so I didn't have the same roots. And that kind of got, put into the background. Well, then my, my husband, um, was died. Well, I got divorced and that was a difficult divorce. There was some, um, domestic violence in it. And then I got remarried and my second husband, uh, got, was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And that happened when my youngest child was just two weeks old. So I had a high schooler, two middle schoolers and a two week old. And we were kind of facing this, I mean, basically, how do you live with that pain every day? That was my big question. How do you get up and go about your business? You know, knowing that the most important person in your life, the biggest part of your life is going to die. Right. Yeah. And who knows how long. So, um, you know, we got through that. I didn't find what what started me thinking about compassion is I didn't find the world a very compassionate place when my husband was sick. So my kids, my older kids were acting out their pain and their grief at school, right? Because I I quit practicing law. I took care of my husband full time. So he was at home. He died at home. But my kids were coming home and they were seeing this every day. I hadn't really even tuned into what, what the powerful effect that would have on the kids. So they started acting out their pain and grief at school, which I got. um, And the teachers were the vast majority of the teachers and administrators were, let's just to put it kind, but put it kindly for them, unkind to my children, mm. right? Um, what kinds of things? Uh, in what ways were your kids sort of reacting and acting out? 
Well, my, my daughter wasn't, you know, they weren't doing their homework. Um, my daughter wasn't paying attention in class. You know, sometimes they'd, they'd be a little disruptive. They weren't always going to school, even though I would drop them off there, right? And so uh, the teachers, especially my daughter, seemed to bear the brunt of it. My younger daughter, they, they basically mm. told her she was worthless and she'd never amount to anything and she was stupid. And mm. I mean, just on and on. I, it yeah. was just awful. Um, my older son didn't quite get the verbal abuse, but the message was there for him too, right? Mm -hmm. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not disciplined. You don't have what it needs to what it takes to be successful in this world. So, yeah, it was, it was really awful. And, you know, I'm talking about in retrospect. I mean, I was going through this with my husband, so I really wasn't, and I feel guilty as a parent because I really wasn't chimed into all that was going on with them. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There was so much going on. I mean, I kind of knew in the periphery it was going on, and I would go to the school, and I would fight with the principal, and I'd fight with the teachers, but, you know, nothing was really coming of it. It's just something I guess we were just going to have to get through. And then I found, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious. Did you, were the kids aware of what was going on? Did you explain what was going on to them? Yes, we actually, uh, when my husband was diagnosed, we actually had talked to all of them and told them, you know, what the situation was. Mm. I don't think any of us had any idea how this was going to play out. Do you know what I mean? In terms of how he was going to deteriorate emotionally or physically. Yeah. And, and, you know, what that was going to mean for all of us. But yes, they did know that he was, you know, going to die. And I don't know if we told him the real nature of the disease, but they saw it. Yeah. Uh, and not that any, every disease isn't horrible, but this one is, they call it the coffin disease because basically you're mentally totally intact, but you're, you're in a dead body, right? Your body basically just dies. Yeah. The physical, the physical, um, representation of the disease is very telling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't talk at the end. Like at the end, I communicated with my husband, um, like I would ask him a question, a yes or no, and he would blink like one for yes and two for no. That's basically what you were limited to at the end of his life. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was hard for him. But th- I, I hope I'm not being too wordy. But anyway, back to the compassion. Not nobody visited. Nobody visited my husband. Right. The sicker he got, the fewer visitors he had until really no one came except his sister. Now, my family lived all the way across the country, but I have to be honest, I I wouldn't put them in the real compassionate category either. Hmm. But basically, um, people just stopped visiting him. Why? stopped coming. In retrospect, I mean, or or maybe at the time, what, how did that feel to you? At the time, I was angry. Yeah. Um, Because, and bitter, because, um, you know, it was... It was hard on me because we had no, we were socially isolated, right? All of us. Right. And, but to see the pain in my husband's eyes, who was already suffering when his friends wouldn't come to see him was really hard. He, I could, I could just, I I don't want to cry. I could just tell how painful it was for him. So that was really what got me upset. And, uh, you know, people didn't want my kids coming over to their house to play with their kids anymore because they were, quote, troublemakers. So we were very isolated. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse. I, I talk about, this is very related. I talk about this on the show a lot, that, that this idea that when we are struggling, whether it's a, a physical illness or a mental illness, there's nothing more invalidating and and sort of lonely causing than others invalidating your 
your place, whether whether that's through the words they use or just not showing up and not being there. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just, my heart goes out to you and, and you know, the the courage and strength to get through that. Like, that's, that's so difficult. Yeah, I'm kind of lucky in a way. I guess I had my youngest son because, um, you know, I really, I just had to be a mom to him. Not yeah. that I didn't to the other ones, but I mean, he was a baby. So, you know, you had to get out of bed, you had to feed him, you had to change his diapers. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so yeah. that, I think in a way that was, made life a little more stressful, but it kept me going. Yeah, you had that, like, this I have to do because he's a baby, you know? I have to feed him. I have to change him. It was almost like a, you know, a routine that kind of, yeah, kept you going, like you said. Yeah, the routines in life really, it's funny when you think about that. We're, we kind of, in our culture, I think a little bit, think, oh, it's so boring and, you know, these routines are terrible, but they really do get you through tough times. You, totally. You, they do, you know, and that, that a lot of that saved me. Yeah, well, it makes sense why we hold on to those routines because they are, we don't have to think about them too much. We, you know, they, they allow us to, to keep moving forward, however, you know, you know, swiftly or, or slowly, they just allow us to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, and you need that sometimes. You need the non thinking moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or at least moving. <laughs> and so. Your husband has now passed. Is that correct? Yeah, quite a number of years ago. That's right. Okay. I can you can still get me crying as you can tell about it. I don't think the pain ever goes away. But yeah, he's died. Oh my gosh, twenty two years ago now. Wow. Can you tell me about that experience and, and the impact on you and, and sort of your your life as a mother and and, and your and your children? Well. Um, hmm. You've, you've basically, you know, the biggest part of your life is gone, right? Your best friend, um, and you you feel adrift. Yeah. Uh, and I think the kids felt adrift. Uh, you, you you lose. You're not that he. You know, you part. You know, the relationship was the anchor, and so you lose part of that, and so you you just you, you just feel adrift. And I think the fact that we didn't find a lot of compassion even after he had gone. Uh, made it difficult because people kind of want to just like get back to business for themselves. Right. And mm. for you, your life will never look the same. Right. Right. And so you feel almost like in another world because people are running around and they're talking about what you perceive as very silly things. Right. Getting upset about, I don't know, the cleaning lady didn't show up or, yeah. you know, my clean, my dry cleaning wasn't ready on time or somebody at the work is at work is annoying me. And you think that is just you know, it's an arrogance. I realize that now, but at the time we're thinking, that is just so stupid. Yeah. Why are you wasting your time on that? So not only the lack of compassion, but the fact that people are running around being concerned about things that you just realize are very trivial, right? Sure. Because you've just been through this traumatic event. So I think we felt very isolated. People didn't want to talk about my husband, which is like, to me, in my experience, was the worst thing. Um, it's because when people won't talk to you, I think they're afraid they're, it's going to upset you. But really, it, you're, you're feeling like they're just pretending he never lived. He was never around. Right. Wow. I mean, I'm just so shocked by this. Like I, how, how little, I mean, just the, the, this idea that no one reached out and, 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 or very few people reached out or, you know, came to you and, and offered their condolences and compassion. Like it just, it's shocking to me, and it's it's very upsetting. It's deeply upsetting. I think we've 
there's a segment of our society that is a lot more tuned into compassion. I don't think, I do think, I think there's some that's less, but I do think that ones that are interested in compassion are more tuned into it. Mm-hmm. But I think back then, nobody really thought about these things. I don't know, you know, we didn't have the communities that we did growing up. Um, although my husband had lived there all his life and he had a very successful business, um, knew lots of people. And it was amazing. I mean, the church was standing room owning when he died at his funeral. Mm. I mean, the irony of that was just blew me away. But I mean, literally, he must have had 500 people at his funeral. Wow. But no one could come to visit him when he was sick. So yeah, it was mind boggling. You know, obviously, 22 years ago, different time, but, you know, compassion was still a thing. Like, do you do you think this is maybe related to this idea that, you know, nowadays there we are more sort of comfortable in having conversations around just illness in general? And, and maybe we as humans have gotten a little better in terms of our emotional intelligence? Yes, I do think that's true. I think people are much more receptive, maybe just because more people are sick. I mean, that sounds terrible, but, you know, in the last 22 years, how many more Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's, cancer? So I think it's touched more people's lives personally Mm. than it had back then. And I do think when you have some personal experiences, you're much more compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. So this experience, and and rightfully so, um, a very traumatic one and a very difficult one has led to this place in your life where you are, you know, you are focused on compassion and the work you do and the thinking you do and the writing you do. Uh, what, how do you define compassion? So compassion is when you feel empathy is the first part of compassion, right? I feel mm-hmm. your pain. It doesn't have to be something, I think people think of that as something very traumatic. It can be something silly. It's not silly, but, you know, something not like my was going through, but just somebody's having a bad day or, you know, a kid failed a test. You know, that that kind of, their suffering or their pain is a broad definition. And then you want to help them. You're moved to help them alleviate uh, the pain or the suffering. Right. So that's the second part of That's where it's a little different than empathy is that you've got the help portion with compassion. Got it. And what what have you learned about the science of compassion? Well, you know, it's funny that we, growing up, and I think in the business world, you, you think of compassion as something that should be relegated to church or your volunteer work, or you know, it's, it's, a, it's like a fluff thing. Yeah. Right? But it isn't. It's actually essential to our survival, and especially if we want to thrive. Uh, for a variety of reasons that they study, they have studied in the past and they are studying now, but it is absolutely essential. It's not, um, it's just not fluff. You know, it's not an emotional thing that you can put on the back burner when you're out in the business world or doing whatever you're going to do. It has to be an integral part of your life. Right. I, I was reading about this thing called kin selection. Have you heard about this? No. So it's it's like a it's basically natural selection um, uh, in favor of behavior by individuals that may decrease their chance of survival, but increases that of their kin who share a proportion of their genes. Uh, you know, they're probably like compassion is natural. It's like basically rooted in like 
natural selection and evolutionary biology. Another way to put it or, or has been described is like reciprocal altruism. Um, so they, they, an organism acts in a way that temporarily, temporarily reduces its fitness while increasing an, another organism's fitness with the exception that the other organism will act in a similar manner at a later time, uh, mm. which is super fascinating to me. Um, but I, so that's all to say, like I was, this, this was, um, you know, these are concepts that I'm just learning about, but I think what you're saying is it's a, it's a natural component to our survival. And I, and I think what those, uh, kin selection and reciprocal altruism state is that they, they agree with that statement. Yes. Yeah. I think there's more and more evidence, uh, on that just that particular point, because, you know, we've got the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley, and we've got the Center for Care and Altruism at Stanford, and they've both done research. And their conclusions are that we are biologically programmed, and not only, you know, behaviorally, but physically in our brains mm -hmm. to, um, to take care of people, right? To be so, it all started because we had to take care of each other. Our young were vulnerable, and so we had to form these caring communities in order to survive. And that that is really tapped into our our biology. One of our deepest needs is to connect with other people. Right, right, and and in doing so, that sort of you know, in a way, solidifies our place as or gets us to a place where may maybe we're a little bit more protected. Like I'm talking about like, you know, from like the evolutionary perspective, like doing the, you know, not like with selfish intent, but like uh, altruistic intent to help a person to show compassion for that person. And in return comes this sort of natural, uh, you know, reciprocal compassion back. And therefore that person is maybe a little bit more protected or a little bit can go a little farther, live a little bit longer perhaps because there's more love in their life. There's more care or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are, what are some ways that out of this experience that you've had ways that you are practicing compassion personally? So I found that um, I, I wasn't very compassionate for a while, right? I was pretty angry, angry and bitter. So it's it's been a journey for me to get here. But what I try to do now, I, I think we are so obsessed with individualism and being busy and focusing on results of our efforts that we have forgotten that it really is, our life really is about relationships and people. That's going to make us thrive in every area of our life, but I think we need to get back to that. And so I, uh, try, before I go out in the morning to do anything, I, it's kind of weird, but I pretend I put on like my compassion hat, right? So <laughs> my goal today is to be kind to everyone that I meet. It's not going to be to get the 50 things done on my to-do list. Uh, but it, that has to be my focus today, to be kind to everyone I interact with, uh, to help them if I can. And so that's what I try to get that mindset as I leave the house. And that's how I try to function. I'm not claiming I'm always successful at it, but that's my goal. And yeah. that's, that's, that's what I try to do. 
That's fantastic. I, I love that. And I, I so relate to the distaste for the, you know, the intense sort of blinding uh, focus on productivity and getting things done. And, and, and I just, I, I think that there's a, a gross overwork uh, in our society and culture that is focused, like you said, on individualism, that is focused on like getting ahead and, and success and achievements and stuff. And I, I, I think that is the opposite of what we should be doing. What we should be doing, as you said, is, you know, being kind to another, showing compassion, building and connecting with one another. Well, and it's interesting. They've done a lot of research on this, too. And self-focus actually is detrimental to your professional success. Mm. So it's funny, these messages that we've been getting that everybody's our competition and we have to compete with them and we have to beat them is the antithesis of what will make you successful in life on many levels, but including professionally. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Wait, like, do you have like some personal experience with that, you know, what we're calling a maybe troubling mindset in, in sort of the world of law or in the corp- corporate environments you've experienced in the past? Oh, yeah, that's what I gave up being a litigation attorney for precisely that reason. Yeah. So I've been an attorney scarily for 36 years. And when I started out, I did litigation and it really was about the law and the facts and the professionalism of it. Right. But and it evolved into this win at all costs. Mm. Right. The person was going to do, I think, unethical things to win. But. Uh, it was all about winning and beating each other and being competitive and, you know, winner take all. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I, it was just the, it was so stressful. It's stressful being a litigation attorney to begin with, but when you add on the stress, if you have to try to figure out what the next nasty thing your opponent is going to do, um, and that whole idea of, you know, just that ultimate competitiveness. And, you know, if you don't win, you're a loser. And I just, I I couldn't do it. So I actually quit being a litigation attorney a number of years ago and went on to do something else. Uh, This included, but because I just couldn't do it anymore. Good for you. Good for you. And the funny thing is not, you see it, but the sad thing about that is when you're in those environments, you see it bringing out the worst parts of yourself, right? I mean, Mm. I didn't like who I was when I was doing that as well as the fact is I didn't like being in that environment. It does bring out those parts of yourself that you don't really like, but I don't really want those parts to come out. I don't want that to be who I am. I'm not saying I was as bad as that, but you have to, in order just to survive, you become not, not particularly compassionate. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I I empathize with that. I've been in situations, either jobs that I I haven't liked. Thankfully, I'm I'm in a job now where I'm working with very compassionate people and and we work with very compassionate clients and it's great. And but I've been in situations in in previous work environments or even like, you know, I, I played soccer for many years, 25 years or something. And, you know, I played in college and then after college, I remember I I I think I, I got tired of the competitiveness of it all. And it's not like competition. There's, there's a healthy component to it, but the, and, and that's fine. But there was this component to it that uh, what we're talking about, there was just this intense focus on winning and winners and losers. 
and there was shame sort of part of that cycle and there was um anger when when you know from others um uh, and and sometimes myself and I didn't like it when we lost and and things like that and that I find very uh unhealthy yes i agree i think it, it's all across the board in all aspects of our life yeah yeah what are some of the health psychological benefits uh, that you've sort of discovered and found uh, by sort of embracing compassion? Well, there's a huge mind-body connection they've discovered, right? So what we experience uh, physically, we will feel emotionally. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of the food movement, right? What we put into our bodies is going to manifest itself health-wise. I mean, we kind of knew that, but it's also true of our environments, our, our emotional environments, right? Some of them can be toxic. It's just what we were talking about. But right. so if you um, live compassionately and you practice compassion and self-compassion, uh, it, it activates certain areas of your brain chemistry and your biology that are particularly healthy for you. One of them is that it reduces uh, inflammation, um, we know inflammation is at the root of a lot of diseases. Uh, it, it stimulates your vagus nerve, which is this nerve, they call it the caretaking nerve that runs from the top of your head down all the way uh, uh, through your body. And so when you activate that, compassionate, acting compassionately activates that, and that actually reduces your heart rate and blood pressure. Right. I've heard about that. That's amazing. Yeah. It strengthens our immune system. And they've proven it helps us recover from disease faster. People even live longer uh, when they practice, when they live compassionately. So, it, and and the psychological effects are it reduces anxiety and depression, and it, it all stems from the connection. Right, we are wired to connect with each other. We mm -hmm. need other people. We need deep, meaningful connections with other people, and when we have that, we reap a lot of these. Uh, physical and psychological health benefits. And it doesn't have to be, it's different for everybody, right? Some people want 500 connections. Some people want two. It, it's what you, what works for you. But the idea that we all need to be deeply and meaningfully connected to pe other people is at the key of these benefits. And yeah. that's what compassion does. I mean, it creates meaningful connections with other people. Yeah. Because you're caring about them. You're showing them love. And it is contagious. So when you show them compassion it comes back to you and then they're more likely to show it to another person like you were talking about it's kind of like putting a drop of a pebble in a pond it just ripples out mm -hmm. yeah have you seen that personally in your own life that that reactionary effect i have i, I can't think of a specific example right now um but i i my mom has been in skilled nursing and i notice you know when you treat the staff kindly. I mean, let's face it, they're, in my opinion, they're underworked and overpaid. I'm underpaid and overworked, sorry. <laughs> and so they have, they live in a really, they're in a very difficult environment. So I would always try to be especially kind to them. And you would notice that if you were kind to them, they might be kinder to my mom or the next person they encountered. I mean, they didn't really do a study, but it was just part, part of what I would observe. Or if you had been kind to them when they would come into the room, and my mom was very kind to them and see you, you could just feel them soften. Mm. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I have seen that. Yeah. I think it's amazing. My wife is a uh, community college English professor 
and uh you know talk about being overworked and underpaid i you know i i remind myself of that often like like you're saying that you know she is in this environment where she is working so much and then she's grading you know like 7 days a week it's 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 you know it's crazy it's nuts um those are ableist terms i apologize it's it's intense and uh so i i remind myself often that i need to uh show her compassion and 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 you know be patient and 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 show her care and and cuz it you know it 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 affects people it's it's tough it's tough uh environment sometimes it really is it's not it, it can tear down their psychological and physical health as well just living under that stress absolutely absolutely <clears throat> excuse me that's one of the things that compassion does so they call it the there's cortisol right that we admit admit in our bodies when we're stressed out right. and then there's oxytocin which is a neurochemical we admit when we are uh, feeling loved uh, being treated compassionately and so um, that's a huge part of what happens to people when they're in a compassionate environment they call it they call oxytocin the love hormone so that's one reason touching is so is an important part of compassion mm -hmm. because when you touch I'm sorry <coughs> When you touch other people, um, it actually causes this re causes you to emit oxytocin, and um, that's why. And uh, that's just that happens in many situations, but specifically when you hug someone or you touch someone, oxytocin is released. I love that hugs are the best. Yes, I I think I was asked the other day. Yeah, it was by it was you know I I was I been going to see a yoga therapist which is very southern california <laughs> but um she's great and uh, after our first uh session you know we said goodbye and she asked um if i was a, a hug a hugger or a handshake guy and i was like handshakes are the worst hug me please <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, that's what I tell people. I talk to um, people that are experiencing burnout. So a lot of healthcare workers and uh, teachers. Um, and one thing I say to them is, uh, if you're having a particularly bad moment, give yourself a hug. Mm, yeah. Self-hugging. I mean, I've, I've done it and people look at you a little weird, but it, it works. It really comforts you. It releases the oxytocin and you'll feel a lot better. I love that. Yeah. So uh, you had mentioned, you know, uh, working with people. Um, what is that the part of the work you're doing now? Yeah. So what I do right now is I, um, I try to, I, I talk to groups, um, consult a little bit with organizations about how to alleviate and prevent burnout uh, for in schools, in uh, for healthcare workers, you know, people that work in communities where there's a lot of seniors um, wow. uh, how to teach compassion to children. Like I have a curriculum, I have a book about that. So just trying to spread the message of compassion wherever I can, but there are scientifically proven programs and practices that people can do that will uh, help them develop compassion in themselves and, uh, offer it more to other people. Uh, and one of them, you, you mentioned it earlier, self-compassion. That's a big portion of the burnout and, uh, Compassion fatigue is not practicing enough self-compassion. So these are some of the things that I talk about. 
to consult with individuals, groups. Yeah. I mean, I want to, you know, I, I, I'd like to see the world be a more compassionate place. I think we'd all be a lot happier, a lot more successful and a lot healthier. Oh man, I, I agree completely. It's, it's why this podcast exists to, to try to inspire people to, yeah, to live with more empathy and compassion for sure. Would, um, yeah, I don't think there's a more important topic in today's world. I, I really don't. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Um, talking about the self-compassion part of it, what what are some, com- some components of that that allow us to... Because, you know, we we have these blocks, you know, we in our heads where we're like, you know, I don't deserve this or I don't deserve love or, you know the the self judgment the the self shame like how do how do we get past that and fully practice self compassion so part the big part of one of the big parts of self compassion is being kind to ourselves right i think that in this world i grew up with a particularly critical mom i don't know if other people have but i think a lot of our culture is a bit negative so we tend to focus on the negative and we tend to because we measure everything by this you know imaginary success, ruler of success, we can tend to um, judge ourselves very harshly, right? Uh, Including caregivers. I mean, there's no perfect caregiver, right? Right. It just doesn't exist. So part of that is um, being kind to ourselves in the way that we would to a friend that needed us to be kind to them, to stop our self-critical talk. You know, if your friend comes to you and says, gosh, I just made a mistake, you don't tell them, oh, you're an idiot. No, how could you do that? I mean, you offer them words of comfort. We need to do the same for ourselves. If you make a mistake or if you've done something that you're ashamed of or whatever it is, you know, be kind to yourself, uh, forgive yourself and also stop the self-critical talk. I didn't even realize how much of that went on in my head. It was just part of who I was until I started learning more about self-compassion, realizing I'm constantly giving myself negative messages. Mm. Um, that I'm falling short, that I'm not doing well, that I could do better. And that's part of our culture too, right? You can always do better. You can always be more successful. You can always make more. So we're always striving. But out of that, I think, comes this downside of that. Of We're always judging ourselves against the standard of we should be doing better. We should be going more places. We should be more successful. And so I think a lot of those critical messages and judgmental messages we need to stop. Um, and you can do that just by some of the scientists have established some practices and you can do it just by starting to daily give yourself positive messages, kind messages. You know, I am, I am great the way I am. Uh, I am a good caregiver. I am uh, doing the best I can. Whatever words you need to hear, make it a mantra. Mm, yeah. You know, repeat it to yourself throughout the day. Sometimes I'll do it when I'm waiting in the line in the grocery store or something. You know, you just find some things that it's going to be specific to everybody, right? Depending on what your background and experience are, but find things that touch you in that way and, and make you can can make you feel kind and compassionate toward yourselves, and then you kind of repeat those to yourself. Uh, in little meditate, little meditations daily. The other part of that is you want to remember to keep it all in perspective, right? You know, whatever you're going through right now, people have been suffering and going through things for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think part of what happens is that we become very self-focused and we think we're the only one going through this and it's the end of the world. So you've got to try to keep perspective on it. This will pass. Other people have gone through this. Other people are going through this. And then just being mindful of what you're doing at the particular time, how you're feeling. Um, Because we tend to stuff our emotions down. Uh, or don't want to deal with them. And I think that's 
partly become when they become toxic. But if we're mindful about what goes, what, what's going on with us emotionally today and try to live more mindfully, be more present, that helps as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm very glad you said the, the part about how, uh, you know, it's temporary and, and also, um, you'll get through it because you have before, you know, we're very resilient people, but like you said, and I've said this, this is another running theme on Yumi Empathy is we are in the throes of our depression or anxiety, uh, and that's all there is. And no one can relate to it. No one can understand. This is the, this is our brain telling us these lies, but once we're past that, once we're past our, you know, that evening or that week or whatever, and we're doing maybe, a, we're, we're feeling a little better, we always look back and say, oh, I got through it. It's fine. I'm okay. I'm okay. And I think, yeah, it's just a great reminder for people. Yeah, I think that's what we do. That's where our anxiety and depression really does come through always, too. Also, don't you think sometimes about the worst an- an outcome when we get to that? When oh, you're in yeah. that throes of that, you're always thinking everything you're going to think that's going to happen is going to be negative and worse. Oh, and totally. you just build yourself into a frenzy. I think we all do that. Totally. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fun. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Is there a component to compassion where there's a fatigue like feeling like maybe it's all too much. Like, are there limits? Yes, I think so. I think definitely compassion is about boundaries. So I think we think that one reason I think people are afraid to practice it is they feel like people are going to take advantage of them or they're going to become like a doormat. No, there's definitely, there's, there's the burnout side of it, but there's also the side of about setting boundaries for people. That's part of the self. That's the self-compassion piece. Yes, you can set boundaries for people. Uh, it doesn't make it terrible. Um, and you need to do that as part of your self-compassion to set some reasonable boundaries for people in your life. I mean, you can't give everything away and have nothing left. That's what happens with burnout, right? You give and give and give, and then you have nothing left to give either to yourself or anyone else. You're emotionally and physically exhausted. And so boundaries are going to help prevent you from getting to that point. It's a little more different if you're a full-time caregiver or something, but there's still, it's still okay to set boundaries in that situation, I think. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, um, what of my self-talk to myself often is, you can say no, known. That's okay. You can say <laughs> yeah. no to this um, party or this event that you feel maybe socially obligated to go to or, or what have you. But you can say no from time to time, and that's okay. And you don't have to put shame on yourself for doing that because you need time to be with you and be and to recuperate or whatever it may be like that. Those are important boundaries. Yes, I agree. And if somebody's in crisis and they need you, then you, after you get through that, then it's good to just take a deep breath and take care of yourself at that point in time. Cause I know you can't always say it right at the time, yeah. but just know that at the end of that, you're going to have to uh, take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How, um, Virginia, how are your, kids doing um with compassion are they sort of learning that through you you know uh, you know obviously they they went through a trauma themselves how are they doing uh i think they're all doing pretty well um my youngest daughter the one that i told you about uh kind of took 
the heap of the abuse from the teacher still 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 does struggle with her self-esteem mm. she still thinks she's not very smart and you know i mean i think she's no she she is very competent and very capable but i, I can still see her falling back into that yeah uh but i think they're all doing really well i think they all uh practice some compassion um I mean, obviously, I'd like to see us all do more, but I think they're doing really well right now. They went through a really dark time. They got into drugs and alcohol and trouble with the law, and um, I didn't know whether they were really going to make it out of it, particularly my middle two, but they have, and they, they're they doing very well. That's great. Yes. That's good to hear. That, that that's Yeah, I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Virginia, um, let's... Let's uh, transition into um, our empathy heroes, and then we'll talk about uh, some of the work you're doing and, and where people can connect with you and buy your books and things like that. But so this segment is called Empathy Heroes. It's where you and I, we each list an empathy hero, someone we know in our lives. Uh, I've used even characters from books or fiction in general and movies or uh, people from history, just people who are the, the good examples of, of empath empathetic humans. Uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I don't mind going first. So if we want to talk historical figures from back pretty far, I um, like St. Francis of Assisi. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, he's one of my heroes. And in, what, in what ways, uh, just for the listener's sake, what in what ways did he sort of embody empathy? His whole, he devoted his whole life to, uh, he was very self-deprecating and his whole life was about service. He was born into a very wealthy family and he gave it all up to be of service to other people, mm. the people, the less fortunate people. Yeah, um, and he's got a wonderful prayer which I don't have memorized that I actually have hanging in the house. Nice. Um, that is inspiring. That's great. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Saint Francis has not been mentioned on this show yet, so uh, good empathy here, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> you know the way you described him. You know, coming from a, a place of privilege and, and sort of taking that and and dedicating his life to service reminds me of um, this documentary on Mr. Rogers I just saw called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's so stunningly beautiful. And I keep reminding people that they need to watch it because it's just so good. By this point, it's probably available for rent. So you owe it to yourself to watch that documentary. Oh, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so... Oh, uh, yay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for Mr. Rogers for a variety of reasons. But yeah, that connection is there, too. I would love to see that. Oh, it's so good. I, it just, like, thinking about it, I'm getting, like, the chills. It's just, you come out and you're like, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a better human. Because he's just, he was he was amazing. He was just so amazing. I Yeah, I love him. Um, well, my, so <laughs> I, I, uh, I started reaching out to my, uh, my audience for, um, empathy hero submissions because I, I list one every week and I was not running out of them, but, you know, maybe lacking the, the energy to, uh, think about them anymore. So, um, 
This Empathy Hero is submitted by listener and friend Brittany Grant. Hello, Brittany. Uh, she says, quote, My Empathy Hero is my friend Tracy Preda, P-R-E-D-A. I met her last year during grad school orientation, and I could immediately tell that she was a good person. We text all the time, and I have told her things that not even my best friends know about. She is so understanding and always lets me rant about anything I need to. I know she would drop anything to come to my rescue if I needed her. I wish the world had more people like her, and I am lucky to be able to call her a friend. So that was submitted by Brittany, and uh, that's just great. I love that. <laughs> we, and we need we need people like that in our lives, and uh, so thank you for that, Brittany. Okay, so um, before we go, Virginia, where... Can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about the work you're doing and buy your books and things? Well, my website is CompassionMagic.com. So you can find out pretty much everything about me on there. I'm on Facebook. Uh, People can like me. I do post articles and information about compassion on there, on my website also. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can buy my books on Amazon. Uh, my name is Virginia Hunter Sampson, because believe it or not, there's a couple more Virginia Sampsons. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is Compassion Magic, which is about my journey uh, through this illness and other things to finding compassion. And then I have Superhero Sam Saves His Family, and that's about teaching compassion to children. So I would love to have people, they can be happy to email me, I'm happy to Uh, give them any handouts uh, about these practices to find more compassion in their life. Uh, Talk to them about anything. I love to share the message and I'm happy to share any information I have. I've got a whole reading list, whatever people want from me, I would love to share with them. Awesome. That's fantastic. And, and listeners, I I, will make sure to kind of link all those in the show notes for this episode and yeah, go, go support Virginia and the, the compassion work that she's doing. And I know there are some, some uh, parents out there who are listening and uh, yeah, so go pick up a copy of superhero Sam. What was it? Yes. Superhero Sam saves his family. Superhero Sam saves his family. So go pick up a copy of that. And uh, yeah, again, the links are all in the show notes. Virginia, thank you so much for being on Yumi Empathy and and sharing your story with me. Well, thank you for having me on. I, I welcome the opportunity to talk about the subject and thanks for all the good work that you do. Really appreciate it. Oh, happy to, happy to. And for you listeners, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy.